You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast where Welsh rugby matters. Wales complete an unprecedented four from four during the autumn, including clocking up wins against South Africa and Australia. This all making it nine victories in a row and still some fans are not happy. Should we be content or is there still plenty of room for improvement? We'll be finding out over the next 45 minutes or so and joining me to do that is a man guaranteed to make sure we don't get carried away. Journalist, realist, and maybe, just maybe on this occasion, optimist, Yestin George. How are you, Yestin? Um, I am optimistic, thanks, Jed. It's a very curious thing to feel, indeed. I know. I was, well, I was going to, my first question was going to be sum up your mood, but to, to say you're, uh, you're optimistic, I think that's uh, maybe, just maybe is reflective of uh, the mood of the nation at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's like seeing it's just seeing odd things like a happy Gwyn Jones on, mm. uh, on you know and uh, and really just a change in mentality really and a change in mindset and recognizing that uh, that victory is is quite <laughs> it's quite enjoyable when it happens on a repetitive uh, on a on a number of occasions rather than those kind of feelings that you always get when you leave any in any game really uh which is what was left behind and what were missed chances and uh th- those feelings just don't that it, it's it seems life is incredibly clearer and more simple for some reason yeah oh, and i absolutely agree and uh yeah it's uh, it, but it's a slightly unusual feeling so uh we'll be we'll be mapping those out and, and kind of getting to the bottom of uh Getting to the bottom of how to deal with a, <laughs> a run of success, which uh, you know is, is going to stay with us until February at the um, uh, the uh, the uh, the earliest, anyway. So we'll be getting to the bottom of that over the next uh, over the next forty five minutes or so. Before we do that, quick thank you to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. 
If, like me, you don't fancy trawling the shops for presents this year and there's a coffee lover in your family, do head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. Check out the hamper selections over there. That way you can avoid the shops, avoid the cold weather and support a great Welsh business. So be sure to do that. Right, fact or fiction is the first part of the show. Five statements. Yestin and I will be debating whether they're true or false. I've had lots of suggestions from our followers on social media today, which is great. Helps me do... uh, do uh, a bit less preparation, which was done on the train back from train back from uh, Macclesfield today, written on the back of a the back of a, a packet of a cheese and tomato croissant. So um, yeah, it really does help that uh, that people have got in touch and, and helped me kind of map that out today. So yeah, if you fancy doing the same, you can do that at Attacking Scrum on Twitter. Uh, be sure to like us on uh, in, follow us on Instagram, and uh, we're called Welsh Rugby Attacking Scrum on there and on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page and the Facebook group, which is simply called Wales Rugby Fans, and that just keeps growing and growing and growing. So loads of ways for you to get us in, uh, to stay in touch with us. But in the meantime, here is fact or fiction. Right, point number one, Yes, this is courtesy of, uh, of Liam, good friend of the show. Uh, he says, Warren Gatland doesn't know his best 15, fact or fiction? Fiction, Ooh. I think. Ooh. I, I think. I think he knows, I think he knows... I think he knows the, I think he knows the pattern and the horses for courses argument, which has been raging, I think, for the last twelve months uh, around whether you play half penny and bigger in the same mm. team, which is my my favourite. I bore anybody who would you know cross my path with that one, uh, and I think he's recognised when you play Liam. It's it's the Lions tour feels like. A long time ago now, and it, that was obviously when we that that kind of uh, that argument was at its height. When how come he plays Liam at fifteen for the Lions, but not for Wales? And it just I, it it was hard to understand, but you mm. could understand that idea that uh, in order f- you needed a defensive fifteen to be uh, to be behind. Uh, sweeping behind a team that was not as robust uh, in its front-up tackling, perhaps, as the the Lions clearly were. But, but now, yesterday was another example of several instances of uh, Wales not being out-muscled. So it's weird, isn't it? Because it's not necessarily the fact that there's a guy at the back who happens to have remarkable, remarkable ability uh, the, this, his try yesterday was it, it, we were just we were just shaking our heads with wonder at the fact that it wasn't really a big sidestep or anything. It mm. was just he he was just it was a momentary, tiny, subtle movement that made two massive blokes who were going to smash him into touch miss the tackle, um, and that's why I think it works is because. Uh, a lot of it works because the centres are, are, are keeping um, attackers at bay. The, the, there's much. There are fewer holes in the fewer gaps to have now. Uh, they just seem far more comfortable in defence than they've been for for a long time. Uh, so that's why I think he he knows what he's doing. I, I have faith in Warren now. Yeah, <laughs> and now I know that's not always been the case. Uh, I, on the other hand have probably always leaned towards being a 
quite a big Gatland advocate. Uh, and I think the bulk of that, you know, certainly the thing that, that's kind of always given me faith is he has had this tendency to, to make the big calls and make the right calls at the absolute key moments, those biggest games, whether it's Grand Slam deciders, World Cup quarterfinals, playing England in their own backyard in the World Cup. And I've kind of, I think that his history in those games has always been the thing that's given me, that's given me the, the best amount of faith. I suppose the, the question is, and I think it's, I think you're right with the horses for courses argument, and we've certainly mentioned that a number of times on this podcast, but the game against South Africa, really, I think he probably, you know, he didn't really have a choice, did he? Because Halfpenny was out injured. What would, it, what would he have done if everyone was fully available? I know that's largely academic, but if this was a big game, if this is the Australia pool game, what does he do in that scenario? I think uh, I think he plays half penny. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he I think he does, but I I also think that the the possibly the reason why we feel so unusually relaxed about everything at the moment is because uh, a little bit like when the Scarlets were absolutely on song about mm. twelve or eighteen months ago, they they could change players in and out of the team with 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 no real significant you know uh, negatives yeah. it was there was no disruption it was all a positive move i mean if you'd have told me i'd have been fairly phlegmatic about the idea of dan lydiard playing ahead of several other players in in the, in the november internationals i would have said you were mad but i i think we're at a place at the moment where if he had played yesterday, I think it would have been okay. But it was great that Aaron Wainwright got a... That was just so fortunate uh, that Wainwright came on for Moriarty in a way. And, but obviously, Ellis Jenkins didn't put you know, man of the match and all that, but he just didn't put a foot wrong in a place where, you know, okay, the argument is that he, it's quite easy for a seven to play eight, but it's not that easy. Not against... Dwayne Vermeulen and no. and Khaleesi, you know, decent back row and uh, and some very lumpy blokes as well in the front Yeah, five. I mean, we're definitely going to come on and talk about Ellis Jenkins a little bit later and Dan Bigger, who we've touched upon already, because I think they were two real big talking points off the game yesterday. But I think the thing there that you've kind of touched on is, I think it's it's not only the strength in depth, it feels that it's a settled squad. And I think that that, again, when we've been at our best, we've had, we've been able to, like you said, with the Scarlets, we, it's, it's a similar scenario when Wales have been at their best. They've been able to bring players in and go, oh, so-and-so's dropped out at the last minute. We're able to bring someone in who knows their role and they're playing with such a positive mindset that we will adapt and we have that, that, level, of, uh, that level of confidence in them and they're playing with that with that positivity in their own minds. And I think that's, that's where we are at the moment that we're just, when you're in good form, there is a, there is a mentality that, that seems to be seeping throughout the squad that players who are getting their chance know they need to play well. And likewise players who, who kind of have missed out on the squad when they do get an opportunity, they come in and they're, they're desperate to prove themselves. And uh, I think you're absolutely right there with, with Aaron Wainwright. You know, this is a player who, has only been playing rugby for four years. You know, he's prior to that, he was he was still trying to make it as a professional footballer. Um, 
I know obviously impressed a, a lot of people at um, at Whiteheads and uh, you know at that level of rugby. Then got his then got his shot at, at the Dragons in and around the wider squad. Then got his shot in the Dragons first team. Does so well he earns a call up for Wales and he just keeps kind of impressing and, and again I think that is that's testament to the squad and the environment that they've that they've got there and you know you can be critical about Gatland and we've certainly been critical about Harley on this podcast but I think that there is so much to be said for building you know it's a, it's a word I know a lot of people don't like but building a culture within a squad where people really know what their roles are and they want to be a part of it and it just it surges them on to to get better and better and better and I feel like that's where we are at the moment it feels the same with say Tom Francis as well you yeah that I wouldn't I wouldn't have picked I picked Dylan Lewis ahead of him any day of the week but uh, again you've got a player there that knows his job he knows what he's got to do and you know pops up and scores his first try for Wales you know, Absolutely. with a haircut. I mean, it's fair enough you can play for Exeter, right? And and have hair like that when you live in Exeter or whatever, because they've all got, there's quite a lot of that stuff going on down there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. But he's actually been in the Vale and he's had a haircut this week. You know, that's, that's, uh, there should be some sort of disciplinary action, surely. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, I'd like to think some hefty fines have been uh, have been handed out, and particularly at the end of the autumn campaign, I'd like to think there were some severe drinking penalties that were uh, that were handed over to him for a being a uh, a prop having the audacity to score a try, especially against a Southern Hemisphere nation, which apparently has never happened before. Um, yeah, a Welsh, a Welsh pro- or a Wales a Wales prop scoring against the Southern Hemisphere side. I believe it's happened for the Lions. Um, so A, having the audacity to do that, but B, yeah, walking around with yeah, a supposedly trendy mullet. Um, yeah, I think I think there should be some dirty pints all around there. I, uh, my son, who was also a uh, member of the front row union at Hove RFC uh, as a, on a junior level, said that he looked a bit embarrassed when he scored, but I didn't really get that. He thought he was just... Uh, he thought he actually thought, oh, I've, I've, I've drawn some attention to myself here. I'm going to get... I'm going to get absolutely mur- murdered by my by my teammates after the game. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure all of uh, every single one of that was uh, every single one of those fines will be worth it because uh, yeah, just getting the opportunity to do that. But you got to say it; it's a good you know. All joking aside, he's run a good support line there. You know, he's yeah. he's on the sh- he's on the shoulder doing what you know you would expect Ellis Jenkins to do for uh, for an outside back to be there and and pop up and and do that kind of open side flankers role. So fair, you know, fair play to him for getting in the right position. And uh, yeah, you know, it was it was an absolute walk walk in. But at the same time, you know, no no one's going to take that away from him. That's that's his try and always will be. No, phenomenal, absolutely. All right, let's move on. Number two, again, this has come courtesy of one of our listeners. This is this one's from Matt Armstrong. Dan Biggers' best role is coming on off the bench to close up a game. Fact or fiction? I'm going to say fiction again. Okay. Because I think the the Tonga game showed that uh, there are times when, let's face it, I don't know how to coach rugby and I've never played at a high level. So I, my instincts would always be to go, okay, let's put a 10 on who's going to uh, get the big, you know, get them running around and mm. let's give Jared a bit of a go, et cetera, et cetera. And I, that was a, that was one, another, uh, 
another, okay, not gamble, but it was another decision that paid off really well, I think. And uh, yes, it was definitely, uh, he came definitely came in to close the game. I keep on boring people again about it's it's the Ogara Humphreys thing from yeah. Ireland way, way back when. That's that's a very could, good that's a very good analogy actually. Where they were just interchangeable, and you knew there were obviously we used to laugh when Ogara came on because he didn't tend to have his best games against us. But uh, but then again, he he you know he performed brilliantly for his country, and Humphrey, him and Humphreys combined really well and that's one of the mysteries about England in a way in that they don't they don't feel that that's something they they oh you could argue that they're over complicating things with regard to the Ford Farrell axis as we (laughs) we all know it and uh, and so Bigger and Patchell and Anscombe it, it's a fairly. I think if you throw, if you start talking Patchell up as a fifteen again, I think it just overcomplicates things. We've got players to play there. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I've I've made uh, numerous calls to have a look at Patchell at fifteen, just because I, you know, for me, I whenever he's on the pitch, I, I feel entertained. I I don't think that's the case, but I am going to disagree with you on the the where Dan Bigger's best role is. I I think this. This could be an absolute masterstroke having him as uh, as your number twenty two, because again, let's let's face it, he is not going to like being on the bench. Um, he's going to be absolutely raring to go when he comes on, um, and you know he is again to use a cliche, an absolute test match animal. He has such an incredible mentality. I, I think it might be the best out of any player I've seen play for Wales. I honestly just think, I don't think, we said this last week, I don't think he feels the fear. And if he does, he absolutely relishes it. And again, particularly going into the World Cup, there are going to be some really big, nervy games. And you can you can play incredibly well, but the chance of you being, you know, 20 points ahead in a, in a World Cup quarterfinal or 20 points ahead against against Australia... I just think those those kind of things are, are going to be pretty unlikely. So you're going to need, going into that last 20 minutes, someone who is very, very comfortable steering the ship and being that calm, reassuring presence. I also think if we're having a bad day and, and we are getting munched up front and it's all kind of back football, which actually at points it was yesterday during the second half, Dan Bigger knows how to play behind that. And I think perhaps that's where Anscombe didn't look quite so comfortable is when we were just kind of relentlessly... Um, relentlessly getting back football at the, 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 I guess, the third quarter of the game. And when you're able to bring Bigger off the bench, he's able to shore things up. And, it, you know, he, his tactical kicking game and his, his kick chase and all those things that we know he does very, very well. Um, I think that does offer a really, good, a really good option off the bench. Whereas, again, yesterday, if, if Patchell had been on the bench, it doesn't necessarily offer you something different to, to what Anscombe's doing. Their first instinct is to is to attack and to go for uh, to go for attack in the line. And and so actually, I, I think it could be a masterstroke having him in this in this role. You know, uh, again, to use uh, an Eddie Jones parlance, having him as a as a finisher, I think could be a really good thing for Wales. Do you think he's a better player, or that anything's changed since he went to Northampton? No, I don't. I, I think it's probably it's probably benefited him a little bit being out of the spotlight. 
because you know you haven't necessarily got the the yeah the constant kind of glare or press attention of of playing within Wales. I think I don't think anything has altered with him mentally. I, I think he's still the the player he was, and um, I don't know. I think sometimes it can just be easy to forget how big test matches are won and it's you know I think Dan Bigger is a player who has made the most out of his ability he's an excellent tactical kicker the way he chases the ball is is absolutely amazing he might you know he, he might not be the most attacking flamboyant Welsh 10 that we've ever seen but there is a there is a quality in there that means he knows how to play international rugby at the at the highest level and he's such a competitor and all of these cliches blah 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 I think all of that has been in there and you know I, I don't think it matters whether he's playing for Northampton for Saracens for the Ospreys or even for the Dragons I think I, I think when it comes to pulling on a Wales jersey Dan Bigger is he's just so capable of, of doing um of doing a job that, that wins you big test matches and that's what and that's what it is going to be important going into World Cup, yeah. I think that you make a really good point about that idea that any big game is going to be a five, four, three, two, one pointer. Yeah. And I never, I never, being even as a miserable uh, pessimist, I always think you know uh, we, we in a way our levels of expectation are sometimes are nearly always too high. Yeah. And. And therefore, we don't accept that it does come down to five, four, three, two, one point usually, and uh, that, that that I guess that's another thing we've learnt in the autumn is that that Wales are capable of squeezing a game, a win out of that situation. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really valuable uh, a really valuable lesson that we've that we've learned hopefully over the autumn. Something else I wanted to get your opinion on. This is something that, uh, that's been raised again by, uh, by some of our listeners. Alistair Maidman mentioned this on Twitter. And that's the reaction to Gareth Anscombe. And I know we've, we've chatted about it on the, on the podcast before and we've, we've personally chatted about it. There just does seem to be a, a section of, of the Welsh support who are not going to be won over by Gareth Anscombe. You know, you get the feeling that he could score the winning drop goal in the Rugby World Cup final and it still wouldn't be enough. Why is that? It's really hard to tell, isn't it? Because you could say that you could say it was just about the f- fact he was flown in in a way to mm. to um to do a job, but then Hadley Parks if Hadley Parks scored the winning try or made the made the made the, the a key tackle to win a game every i think it's a lot to do with just his demeanor to a certain mm. extent and hadley parks appears to have that very phlegmatic very amiable uh humorous self-deprecating uh his all his work is is hard graft is consistent uh all those things just help you to uh, embrace him, uh, even though he's not, you know, he's not born in Wales, and mm. some people might find that difficult to 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 come to terms with. But Anscombe, I just think he doesn't go out of his way as a person to to uh, to to. I guess you know he's not kissing the badge, and yeah, I I I, I don't have a problem with that particularly. I think you know. Uh, if if I was an England supporter, 
you know, when you watch, uh, watch their players, you know, coming in and uh, doing the job, it doesn't matter where they're from or where they were born. Everybody's happy, aren't they? Uh, I think we we do have a certain cultural pride, perhaps greater cultural pride, mm. in a in a way. But is it just do you, do you get do you get that feeling from Manscom that he's not trying particularly hard to win anybody over, and he doesn't feel he has to prove anything? No, I, I I'm not sure I do get that same feeling. To be honest, I think um, I, th- I think to be honest, he's his first instinct is to is to concentrate on on his rugby, and I think that's the that's where you know the the bulk of his the bulk of his kind of effort has gone. I, you know, I, you're right. It's it's a really weird one because you know Hadley Parks has seemingly you know he he's ingratiated himself with the with the Welsh public. No one seems to have any question marks over him yet. You know, yet Hadley is playing for Wales off the back of pure residency. Gareth Anscombe. You know, he's he's playing for Wales because his because his mother's Welsh, and you know that's you know that in theory should should be a lot easier. You know, Ross Moriarty went and played played under twenties rugby for the enemy, and um, and it's 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 really really difficult because again, none of those neither of those other two players have had this problem. Part of me wonders whether it's because that you know just that ten spot is always gonna is always gonna hold that bit more spotlight. I think you particularly look back to the stick that Priestland had. You look back to the stick that uh, that Stephen Stephen Jones had at, at points in his at points in his career. You know when when James Hook was was I guess the the second choice ten and then the up and coming the up and coming option. You know Steve well, Jones Neil, took, Jen- Neil well, Jenkins had loads yeah. of stick. Yeah, it's, absolutely. I, but do you think it's something about the nature of the, not less to do with, when I say demeanour? I don't necessarily mean like you know he's he's moody. But mm. but the the fact that the way he plays is not the set the sort of way it, 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 <laughs> I don't know what is it's not an emotional but if I know it sounds, sounds yeah clinical way maybe. too deep but a bit yeah it it the the emotions don't run particularly high in him you know, you just see yeah. a player playing to the edge of his to the to the best of his ability uh, and. The, you know, when you see George North can't stop smiling or making mm. jokes or picking people up, and you know the they, but uh, it's uh, the nature he plays. He's not expressive, perhaps, even though he is obviously clearly a, a very gifted runner and a gifted rugby player. He he's not particularly expressive. Yeah, I don't. I, it could be. It could be that. I I am a li- I'm a little bit miffed by it. I have to say, I, I think. You know, certainly, I, I took a while to be won over by him in terms of performance, and I think that's mainly because, you know, I'm, unashamedly, I'm a big fan of Patchell, as anyone knows, and I thought perhaps it was um, he felt hard done by, and and maybe some fans felt hard done by that, you know, he that Patchell didn't get the opportunity at Cardiff Blues at ten and had to go elsewhere to to play his rugby, whereas Gareth Anscombe had seen him seemingly been fast tracked straight into the Wales setup. Because he was because he was rated so highly, and you know, but I I've certainly been won over to his talents. You know, anyone anyone who watches him play for uh, play for Cardiff realizes what a what a talent he is, and you know he does have the disability. You know, you look at that try he scored in the Heineken Cup earlier this year; that was absolutely amazing. And I think some of his performances for Wales have been have been very good. 
I don't think he's nailed down that shirt yet, but I, I do just think that there is something about him, and I think it's in part because he's because he's uh, Kiwi by birth and played for played for the Baby Blacks and is playing at outside half. That maybe a combination of all of those things has just meant that there is a section who who don't who don't warm to him. Um, and you know, look, I, I think this debate is is going to rage on because we're we're in a lucky position that we've got three great three great tens but people are always going to have their favorites and are always going to enjoy enjoy um getting vocal about that when i was a kid my favorite 10 was uh di richards who ended up playing 13 for wales for a few seasons but he was by far my favorite uh player in the swansea team at the time and gareth davis was the mm-hmm. number 10 you know and he'd kick the leather off the ball and routinely cardiff would beat swansea uh as a result of that, but and Di Richards couldn't actually kick the ball into touch. But I refuse to believe that he wasn't ten times the player that Gareth Davis was. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's just blind loyalty. He yeah. he could not kick the ball out of the twenty-two. He 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 just refused to even contemplate the idea. He thought kicking was a you know was sign a of weakness. Of so you just sometimes you have to also accept that people are people have their own blind loyalties. I think you might be right, and actually we've we've not mentioned the the p word of parochialism, which, as we know, can uh, can definitely cloud our judgments when it comes to when it comes to Welsh rugby. But I'm sure that debate's going to going to rage on, and um, we'll look forward to revisiting that at some point uh, in the future. Right, uh, last one before the break. And this is a pretty damn easy one. Ellis Jenkins's injury is a reminder of how cruel sport can be, fact or fiction. Yeah, it's, just, it's cruel because it happened so late in the game as well. Yeah, terribly unfortunate. Terribly unfortunate. Uh, I, I thought it was, a, it was notable, the team gathering around. As it happened, we were in the welly that my favourite pub in Brighton watching the game and... The Chelsea Tottenham match was on. On fortunately, the Wales match was on more screens than than the 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 Chelsea or the Tottenham Chelsea match, and they were getting. It was notable how uh, people were saying all the teammates from Wales were gathering around mm. Ellis Jenkins, whereas uh, you know on the other screens it was just full of full of bravado and general sort of. Uh, <laughs> lack of team, you know, lack of warmth, if you know yeah. what I mean, and, and people feigning injury left, right, and centre. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I, I think that's. Was, um... But, but it, it, he, yeah, yeah, it was a really, it's it's a real shame, and it, it's a say it was a shame that Aaron Shingler's been out for so long, and it's a shame that Josh Nabidi is, re- is injured, and that James Davis is injured as well, and I, we're actually getting to the point where we're going to have to actually. With showing off about fielding a team of sevens in in um, you know in, in that that we we have so many sevens, well we're actually going to go quite have to go quite deep now, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Um, you know, and again, I, hopefully they, they, it will it will time with you know obviously Navidi's return to fitness and don't know how far Shingler is away from that. You know, James Davis is obviously still a while away yet. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, obviously that the strength in depth does help. You're right. It, it is a difficult one. I think the thing that struck me with Ellis Jenkins, and you, and you mentioned this earlier on in the show, was just the fact that you know at, at seven o'clock at seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday he's he's on the bench. He then gets you know uh, will will have got the nod that to be on standby because Lydiot's uh, because Lydiot's got this elbow injury. Then he gets he gets promoted and he comes on the start. He has a fantastic start to the game. After what ten or fifteen minutes, he's moved from seven uh, sorry from six to eight, um, and you know that is it's not we're not talking about doing that for for ten minutes during the game. We're talking about then doing it for 65, 70 minutes of a game and doing it pretty damn admirably behind you know a scrum that was struggling at times. Uh, I just thought he had an absolutely phenomenal game, and that's you know obviously this statement. Um, was ne- was never in doubt. Of course, it's a reminder of how cruel sport can be. But I just thought it was worth mentioning how how much he stepped up. And you know, I've I've been a keen admirer of him for a number of years. But I think it's performances like that that show you just how just how capable he is. You know, it's again when you when you've got that kind of adversity thrown in front of you and these various different um, these various different curveballs. Again, I think it's it's the sign of a of a settled squad. Of good mentality, and it's a sign of a player who's who's happy to you know who's happy to to roll his sleeves up, get stuck in, and you know he was he was outstanding for me and well and truly man of the match, um, and yeah, you just hope that I mean it looked like a really nasty injury. We don't know the extent of it yet, but you'd imagine that's you know he's definitely going to miss the Six Nations. You'd imagine it's probably the end of his season, and you just hope that that he'll get enough recovery time to to be able to to fight for a World Cup place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting to see players who are they're obviously he's an outstanding athlete and he can get over the ball and he can he's got the perfect physique to to win at the win balls at the breakdown. But it, he's there was a scrum that Wales just got caved in really, and the referee you know might easily have given a penalty had he not got the ball away so quickly. It's that resourcefulness that we we used to be routinely dumb around the yeah. back of the scrum and routinely make a make a a total fuss and bother about everything and his pragma, pragmatism and his l- low error count is just something else, isn't it? It, it? If you think about he 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 just he he just doesn't like Alan Wynn. I can remember Alan Wynn's early career where. There would be the miracle offload, or mm. there would be the 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 the, the attempted um, one-handed sort of uh, you know he'd have the ball in one hand and knock on or something like that, and then slowly and steadily he just all those little frailties in his game were eradicated. And but Ellis Jenkins is that sort of player, isn't he? He just it it's quite it's just so reassuring to have people who make so few mistakes but yet they still manage to um I I think Jonathan Davis is similar he he, mm. he only goes when he knows it's on and yeah. when you see his head when you see his head go up and he goes you just think oh well that it's on it's not yeah. him trying to make it happen he just knows it's on and that's just uh, that's such a gift really same with Liam in you know when when he's finishing certain players are just so good at certain things and Ellis Jenkins just doesn't seem to make any mistakes or doesn't make it hard for the, for any of his teammates he just he, you know which is remarkable 
Yeah, I, I think the thing that impresses me is exactly some of the things you've mentioned there. His rugby intelligence. You know, when you watched Ellis Jenkins play, uh, you know, at the age of at the age of twenty or, or nineteen at that at that junior rugby world cup when he was. He's kind of, he played like a 30-year-old then. And I think he's done that his, his whole time. You know, he plays like a seasoned vet, even though he's still a relatively young man. So, that, you know, that, that'll only hold him in, in good stead. And, yeah, you just hope that the injury is, uh, or you hope his recovery is as, as uh, quick as possible. Because I think he's, uh, he's an asset to whatever team he's playing in. And, uh, yeah, cruel luck on, uh, on what was a, an immense performance. I just saw, you know... Uh half an hour of Ollie Griffiths uh, earlier on and he looked he looks sharp as well so you know there are more there, there are more out there yeah I know, well exactly and again I'm and that's without Tom Young Thomas Young and other people that even that's it let's let's not get on to, to my list of 10 uh, of 10 open side flankers who would get in the England side because it it's starting to, it's starting to sound petty now right still to come we've got some amazing transfer rumors uh, we've got a few more questions from you the listener and Yestin will be naming his uh, his player of the week but before that we've got two to go on fact or fiction and that will be coming up very very shortly after this quick break Right then, Justin, two to go, and uh, this is the last one uh, on Wales. Six Nations form will be much more important than the Autumn Internationals in determining Wales's Rugby World Cup fate, fact or fiction. I'm going to say fiction. Okay. Mainly because it's it's like starting all over again, but I think I've got a feeling that they feel like they're in such a good place now that they need to really kick on. And in kicking on, they may have to, they don't, they don't have to gamble particularly. I mean, again, you know, we only have to think about podcasts, you know, gone by to say that, you know, they've got to blood some people, they've got to give them the opportunities. They've done all that now. The Argentina tour was a, a revelation. And, I think that the, it's just the Six Nations is important, but it's never as important as the World Cup in World Cup year. It, that's my personal opinion. I think a lot of people don't agree with that, but that's my that's, those are my thoughts. I think it everything will be will be uh, they won't you know you, they won't be wanting to peak early. They won't want to. They will be looking at how they prepare the squad best for for the, for Japan. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's the really important thing actually is I think the thing that Wales have done really well over the last couple of years is oh no sorry the last couple of World Cup campaigns is they've got the side ready for the World Cup and at certain points it's been kind of to the detriment of of either the autumn campaign or the rugby world cup uh, sorry or the six nations campaign and I think that is the that is the important thing is to make sure that they are right for the World Cup you know if we lose to Ireland or we lose to England during the Six Nations then yeah you know of course it'll be disappointing and it stings it always stings when it's your you know when it's your neighbours but at the same time I I think the most important time is going to be that that month or so when Gatland has got the players together and is prepping them for you know not just fitness wise but is prepping them really really hard I think the autumn has been a a big boost. I think that will undoubtedly help 
and getting over the the jinx of beating Australia, getting another win over South Africa, that's definitely going to help. And you know, I've no doubt that a win over England and a win over Ireland, they would they would be hugely important as well. But I also think that if we you know if we finish third or fourth in the Six Nations, I, I think a lot of that can go out of the window. If you look at how we've played in the the previous two World Cup years, you know we we had a largely a largely forgettable um, 2015 campaign. There was a, there was that very good win over Ireland, but we were comfortably beaten by England at home. You know, I think you also look at the um, the 2011 one again. We were beaten by England at home on a Friday night, and and you know, I think those those kind of things are forgotten once the World Cup campaign begins. Do you think that um, that the, do you think they will beat England or Ireland? Um, if it was to, if it was happening in two weeks' time, it's really tricky. I, I think Ireland are um, Ireland are incredibly tough at the moment, and that's that's something that I think is. I, I don't know. I, Ireland, I think, are, are hitting a, another level for me at the moment. So I'd be I'd be very very wary of that. England, I think, uh, have stuttered a little bit. I'm not overly sold on them just yet. I think again, if we you know we talk about sides who don't know their best fifteen, I don't think England do. I think especially when some of those players come back from um, come back from uh, injuries, I think that it becomes a, a difficult thing for them to do. So I think we, sh- I think the England game I would go into more confident than than the Ireland game. Um, but you know I think Ireland are an exceptional side. Anyone anyone who beats the All Blacks and has done you know twice in a couple of years. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to have serious respect for. They, um, it feels like the autumn internationals has felt like a mini World Cup. Obviously, it's been very, it's been quite successful. But the way that this this kind of calm, uh, controlling uh, confidence that that now pervades the the the, the performances, that it feels more similar to the way that Gatlin prepares them for a has prepared them for previous World Cups than I've seen before. So maybe that's that's the, you know, you take the Six Nations as this is like a dress rehearsal rather than for the World Cup, rather than, you know, it's the it's win at all costs uh, and we'll play whatever, we'll do whatever we have to do to win. I don't know. It's It feels, it's hard to not feel optimistic about the long term i think i think we're all looking at we can we'd love the world cup to be in in two months now wouldn't we oh yeah oh definitely and you know what? again that that in part kind of brings it back to the back to that form word you know if wales were to go out and win a grand slam the confidence it's going to give you um would be absolutely massive and um, i just i think it's one of those look you know if if Wales can go out and really play well and and win a, a you know a, a triple crown, a championship, a Grand Slam, then it, I think that will have a massive effect. But likewise, I think if we were to lose to England or to Ireland, I don't think that you know we should get we should get too disheartened. As much as you know, you can remind me of this when we record the podcast after one of those two eventualities happen, and I will be saying something completely different. But I do think it's. Um, I do think that the key thing in those World Cup cycles, particularly with Gatland, is when he has got them all together 
And that's where he's able to really build and galvanise a group of players into believing that they can go out and um, and beat you know beat pretty much any side in the world. So it's a really difficult one to call. You know, I think all all games are important, but um, yeah, that's the that's the period that's going to be most important to me. Absolutely, and it, hopefully, it'll just obviously, notwithstanding, you know, the, the injuries that 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 some players have got it's you just hope that everybody relatively you know stays in one sh- in good shape but then also the the Watkins and the the there's so many players aren't there that that would get would benefit from a, a run out as they said you know Thomas Williams played part in four games it's just really important that um, and that they used four kickers during the autumn internationals and everybody got got their go. It's great, you know. It just demonstrates that that they're putting players under pressure in competitive games, and they've just got to carry on doing that. And they and if it if it means if it means they select with the long term in in uh, it's not like a it's not like a terrible calculated risk, is it? You know, to to play Owen Watkin. You know, for, for, for you know, away at Murrayfield or whatever, that's fine. But I think it's important they do give them that 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 go. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that, and I think that's where things are, are different from from years gone by, and that that should be encouraging. You know, again, go back to that. I think it's very easy to look at that Tonga game, and we've we've kind of analysed it quite a bit in the last you know in the last week or so. It's very easy to look at that and go, oh, well, Tonga were rubbish. And do you know what? In, certainly in the last quarter of the game, they were. However, that in the past, we have laboured in those games, regardless of, of how the opposition have played. And I just think we, we do have now that strength in depth. We do have a set of players who are used to playing with each other and some different combinations. Again, you know, that, that 60 minutes that Thomas Williams and Dan Bigger played together in the Tonga game, I think will have helped... For the for the last 15 20 minutes when they were on the pitch together yesterday so again these these kind of combinations I think that's very very important um when it comes into playing the big games at the World Cup you know we always sit here as fans and we're as guilty as anyone else if not more so of saying ah oh, you've got to pick so and so because they're in form you've got to pick so and so because they've scored five tries in five games for the Scarlets but international rugby isn't as simple as that and that is that is I, I think you're absolutely right that's where you know, Owen Watkins playing away at, at Murrayfield and having a stormer um, at a place where it's very hard to get victories now, that that could be the kind of thing that, you know, that, that really helps you in a World Cup campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you think, was there any uh, was there any point during the South Africa game that you thought Wales could have thrown it away? <sighs> do you know what? Even, and again, we joke about you being pessimistic, Justin, but you know how, you know how I get... Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, in fact, I think the first um, the first time we ever came in, into contact with one another, I sent you a, I sent you an article <laughs> try, trying to get a job for the company you were working with at the time, which was based around me watching Australia versus New Zealand or New Zealand versus South Africa and kind of hiding behind the sofa because, of, oh, God, how will Wales fare against against either one of these sides? And that that's kind of how I always watch rugby. I always kind of fear the worst. Um but do you know what? Hand on heart, I felt we were going to win that game pretty much. When we went 14-0, I don't think there were too many moments where I where I really thought we were going to kind of throw it away. And I think that was probably the same way the players thought. 
Yeah, I agree. But uh, what's interesting, though, is that three, four, five years ago, mm. you could have you could have easily seen seen that go, because one of the things about those Southern Hemisphere teams is that they they they're really good at clawing back fifteen point deficits, aren't they? You see, you see time yeah, and time are. again, you see uh, the Australians, the, the New Zealanders, South Africa being, you know really looking dead and buried and then coming back and obviously last year was remarkable last the last rugby championship wasn't it and and so but i i felt the same way as you did yesterday but i also i I felt really comforted by the fact that it wasn't that long ago even with a good team uh playing for wales that 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 we could have lost that yeah, absolutely. And the, the one the, the one game that really springs to mind was South Africa in the World Cup quarterfinal, where oh, again we're yeah. in a similar position, had a great first half, then we you know, we started going backwards in the second half. And I was in the stadium that day and I ju- it did not come as a surprise when they won it in the last minute. You just there was an air of inevitability about it. And again, yeah. I think that the fact that that our mindset as fans has changed, it looks as though the mindset of the players has changed, getting over the line against Australia, having a, a series of wins against South Africa, I think, you know, will only will only hold us in really good stead when it, when it, the World Cup actually does does come around. So, yeah, gosh, cannot wait now. Less than 300 days to go. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, last one on fact or fiction. Uh, just moving it away from Wales for a bit. Now, this is uh, a story that has been, uh, has been running in the press today, uh, been written by our good friend Stefan Thomas. Um, and it relates to Cardiff Blues recruitment. Hallam Amos is best off moving to the Cardiff Blues. Fact or fiction, Yestin? Oh, that's such a loaded question with you asking it. Um, Do you want me to answer it first? Yeah, go on. Unfortunately, I think it is. I think it's a fact. You know, if I was Hallam Amos, as much as I do not want to see him leave the Dragons, you know, he's, he's a play- like we said, we're talking about competition for places in the Wales side he wants to play for Wales at a World Cup um, you know and we're just at that position where you know the kind of Dragons can't offer that now I know it'll be after that 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 he's um, that he ends up playing for the Blues but Dragons unfortunately are just you know have had again a really really difficult start to the season off the back of a terrible season last season you just think that it's, it's a limited career and I look at you know you look at Lydia at Chartres at Falatau. I don't think I don't think many Dragons fans would hold that would hold that against them. Uh, you know for going off and pursuing a pursuing a, a career elsewhere um, because we simply you know they were kind of almost too good for us and and I think Hallam is, is probably in that category at the moment and it, it does sadden me because I think that's that's the thing that the Dragons have got to change. You know we've you've got to sit there and you want your players to. To stay and to, to go okay, I'm part of something special. But at the moment, it's it's kind of it's not that case. Um, and again, I say this having not seen the having not seen the game yet. I'm recording this while the we're recording this while the Dragons game is is going on this week. But you know, if we look at this on a, on a bigger picture point of view, um, it, it, you would it would be hard to begrudge him a move. Well, that answers it. I think it's uh, yeah it's. I just, you know, my, my, my issue is that you can't keep on just, the Dragons can't keep on uh, losing key players all the time and, and then yeah. 
for people to walk to sort of stand around going, well, they're not very good, are they? It's it just seems. Uh, it's it's it, it's it seems like an uneven playing field a little bit. I'd I'd rather players in Wales didn't didn't sort of move around quite so strategically from time to time. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, I'd I'd. I'd like it, you know. Obviously, we, we it would be best if we had if we had all the regions were were strong, and I I, I worry about much as you know, Halimos would be uh, would you'd imagine that would would be knocking on the door of uh, playing games for the Blues at the highest level. Uh, there's no guarantee either, and. I just I just worry about that as well because the last thing you want is is him not playing every week. Yeah, that's very true. I I would be less worried about that to be honest. I I think he's you know, I I think Carlos has got some good um some good back three players. I think that he would um I think he would be able to to secure his to secure his start, secure his starting place in in those biggest games. I think I, I think it's you know, he's a He's a different caliber of player to maybe you know the like when Tuvy went over there or something like that. You know, I think yeah. he's, uh, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's kind of proven to be international class. I would say, you know, even I think he's good enough to play international rugby. Therefore, I think he's good enough to play rugby. You know, for Cardiff Blues in a a Europe a big European pool game or a, a quarter final or, or something like that. So because yeah, he's got to a, play those games, he's got to play the big he games. Does. There's, there's no point going there. And not playing the biggest games. No, there's not. And um, you know, look, we'll see what happens. And, and honestly, of course, I want I want Hal to stay un- undoubtedly because again, he does offer these just these moments of he, you've never ever I've never ever questioned his commitment as a Dragons fan, and he does offer these moments of um, you know that get you off the get you off the sofa or make you stand up uh, stand up at your seat or cheer from the terrace or whatever it might be because. You know, unfortunately, they can be few and far between as a Dragons fan. But yeah, we'll see. And and the recruitment at Cardiff Blues as well. They've been linked with they've been linked with uh, Scott Baldwin, with Josh Adams, with Steph Evans as well. So it looks as though they're, they're really kind of trying to ramp things up there and and bolster their squad going into into next season. Um, and again, I think all I think all four of those would be really really good recruits for the Blues. Yeah, well, I think Josh Adams coming back has to be a, a priority, doesn't it? From yeah. a from a WIU point of view yeah and you know I, I think that's I'd, I'd be very surprised if that doesn't happen I, and I'd be I'd also be very surprised if it wasn't to the Blues but uh, yeah we will see soon enough right a few things to, to finish the show on um, so yeah the last part of the show any other business uh, as you can imagine next week we'll be returning to Club Rugby on the, po- uh, on the podcast we'll be focusing on that so if this is the first time you've listened, uh, do make sure you download us every week on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. Um, another question we've got here, this one's coming from uh, from Pete Harris, and it takes it back to Wales, actually, um, or the, the national side, rather. Um, of those injured, who gets in the side straight away and who has to earn their place? This is an interesting one this yesterday. We were talking about strength strength in depth. Um so yeah, reminder of some of those players who are injured at the moment. Obviously, Navidi, Bradley Davis, Shingler, Lee Halfpenny, Toby Falatau, Scott Williams. Do any of them get straight back in the side, or does everyone have to go and, and kind of earn their place? Uh, Falatau goes straight back in, and uh, as you well know, my uh, adoration of Aaron Shingler knows no bounds, and I know Very that that's, that would probably be 
that would probably be worth an argument, but I would say that he would he would get in my match day squad every time. Yeah, I I certainly think um yeah, you know, again I I'm never uh, never any shortage of me kind of banging on about how great Toby Falatao is. So I think he would get straight back in that side. And we've said before there is a, a lack of uh, depth at eight. Yeah, I think Shingler is is worth a is worth an argument. I think if you were to go where everyone is is fully fit, it's an incredible it's an incredible scenario. I think personally for me, I think Tipperick has made that seven shirt his. Um, I think that I think that is his shirt to lose at the moment. Um, and then you know you look at obviously Jenkins is going to be out in it out for a, for a long while. You know, Navidi will be busting a gut to get straight back into that side. So I think that is one that, that could be done on form or, like we say, the horses for courses scenario. Again, I, th- I think Tipperick has benefited from having Lydia alongside him and doing some of that, particularly in the Scotland game, doing that kind of donkey work to just get stuck in and do what you expect from a from a six. But, you know, I, I'm likewise, I'm a big admirer of Shingler and he, he does offer that kind of that X factor of sheer athleticism, another line out option. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's blooming tough, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I love Josh. I think he's, I, I think he's underrated. And again, another one of those players who does very little wrong. And I, he, in a like for like kind of way, he's probably the best replacement for Ellis Jenkins in, in, in some certain respects because of his just graft uh, he, he's not possibly the as as visionary a player, but he's certainly got the engine and the graft and the dog. So it, it, that would be a tough call to leave him out of a match day squad. But I think, uh, yeah, I think Shingler's physicality will be great uh, in the World Cup. But then uh, Navidi tends to just play to a level doesn't he all the time and I'm I'm not sure there's no guarantees with certain players that they come back and and they're on song straight away I mean I, I was really pleased that uh, John Fox has looked so sharp considering that he's obviously not he's carried various injuries at the start of the season whereas the last time when he was out for a long period of time he he actually took a while to get back into into form didn't he this time round he's been He's he's been a lot more, he's been a, just quicker to hit the ground running. So if Shingler if Shingler doesn't look you know if he doesn't look like the player he was when just before he got injured, then I'm sure Navidi will do the job. Yeah, it's an interesting one there with John Fox because he, you know, he's played precious little rugby since the Lions tour. You know, obviously he got played at the start of last season, got injured in the first of the Autumn Internationals, missed the rest of the season and has been used, as you can, you know, quite rightly, has been used sparingly for Scarlets this season. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's just looked every bit one of the best centres in the world, if not, you know, if not the best outside centre in the world. Um, which again, is he, really, really encouraging. Yeah, because he took a long time to get up to that speed of the the the... the the form he showed with the Lions, didn't he? That time, it took him months to get back into real shape, if not most of the season, you know, just to really hit form. It's, it's remarkable. Certain players, it's the same with football, isn't it? They, you mm. see players, they they take ages to feel their way back into form or they just hit the ground running. It's remar- It's just a kind of state of mind or something. I'm not quite sure what it is. 
Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sure either. It's um, yeah, it's a hard thing, hard thing to gauge. But I'd certainly rather it. I'd certainly rather it this way round. So yeah, long, long may that continue. Um, right, couple of just a quick look at the the fixtures for next week. Um, Ospreys versus Zebra on Friday night. Then moving on to Saturday, Ulster versus Cardiff Blues, uh, Ravenhill. Then Glasgow versus the Scarlets, and Dragons are at home to Leinster. Any of those fixtures kind of catch your eye? Which one of those are you kind of most looking forward to, Yestin? Well, I'd like to see if somebody can put a dent into Glasgow. Mm. <laughs> um, and Leinster's under-19s team were quite impressive the other night as well uh, against Ospreys. It was funny, the first, first 10 minutes, Ospreys broke the line about three times. Corey, you know, Corey Allen looked like he was on fire and then bang, all over, game over. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, th- I, d- I can't, see the, can't see Dragons getting anything out of that. Can no. you? <laughs> Can I ever? No. It's, uh, I mean, look, Leinster, Leinster's strength in depth really knows no bounds. And, we, you know, we've said it numerous times on here, just the way that they're... Those players seem to come through the you know come through the academy and they're ready to go. Coupled with you know some of those quality uh, foreign imports, they, they just they just have a, a squad that is that is unrivaled really. And yeah, I'd be very surprised if they don't win the Heineken Cup again this year. Um, I think they'll win the Pro Fourteen again. They're just they're just you know an absolute class outfit and to be honest you know I think there, there are times where they could probably put out a fourth outfit against the Dragons first 15 and, and it'd be really really tough it'd be really really tough going for the Dragons you know it's um, they're, they're just at different ends of the, the spectrum and I, you know I'm a big admirer of the of the of some of those players who've come through the Dragons Academy it's just that where we're at in terms of our journey versus where Leinster are at is, is miles away and again I hope I'm wrong because I, I hope we're able to to give them a damn good game, and it will depend on on what side Leinster bring over. But you know, whenever you're playing Leinster, you just don't, you kind of don't you don't think, oh, that's all right. They're they're resting a load of players because they just have strength in depth that is that is unrivaled. Yeah, you, it's hard to um, it's hard to sort of uh, I feel kind of an admiration, and it's not for once. It's not begrudging. You know, uh, the, with a team like Leinster, they you just think, well, they are actually poster boys for the Pro 14, and that's that's pretty impressive, really. And they are, yeah, they they're a remarkable team, and I, there's no shame in in celebrating the fact that they are. I obviously we would support them against you know if they come up against Saracens again, mm. you you'd support Leinster every time, wouldn't you? Because um, they play a different kind of rugby. Yeah, they would. I mean, look, they they play very very similar to very very similar to Ireland. I think uh, you know that's no that's no kind of um, there's no great surprise in that given the the kind of the personnel and um, yeah, I guess the the kind of the blueprint that Joe Schmidt's had at all levels of uh, all levels of Irish rugby. Um, but you know, I I gotta be honest, I, I Leinster have a huge amount of a huge amount of exciting players, but. I don't know. There's something about them that I don't necessarily find the most attractive side to play. I'd certainly rather watch the Scarlets play than Leinster, but you know they're a, they're an incredibly, incredibly tough side to beat. Whether they put out their first, their seconds, or their thirds, so yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very tough, uh, tough afternoon for the Dragons. Yeah, absolutely. Right then, let's finish on this one. Uh, player of the week for you, Yestin. 
Well, I was, I was, um, it's a, it's, it's a really obvious one and then a fairly obvious one. So it's either going to be Alan Wynn or Liam. Alan Wynn because he's just had a flawless autumn season and just looks imperious and his ability to handle the referee, etc., etc. Mm. All of that stuff, he just seems, he seems uh, statesman-like in, his, uh, in, in everything he does now. And then Liam, because he's just proved himself that he plays, he scores. He plays, he scores. Simple as that. What about you? I mean, my, my player of the week would be Ellis Jenkins, uh, you know, and obviously we, we covered all of that in the, in the first half. But I do have a question for you around, around Alan Wynne jones Do you think that this kind of Wales getting over the, I guess, the, the mental hoodoo against Southern Hemisphere sides, do you think any of that could be linked to Alan Wynne jones being the captain versus, versus under the Sam Warburton era? Wow. Well, there was a there was a point, wasn't there, where people thought that Alan Wynn wouldn't make the right wasn't wasn't the right man to captain Wales, mm. even though he was obviously a natural leader. That he he would make decisions that were possibly emotionally charged, or the, yeah. that he was he was too um, too in the face of the officiation, you know, whoever's officiating the match. Uh, that's a really good point. He certainly, I mean, you, you you just wouldn't even think. It was really nice after the game to see him just sort of smiling and and sort of uh, sort of smiling and being very sort of warm with the South African players because you just thought he knows he's the best guy there, <laughs> you know, and it must be you know not not in an arrogant way, but he's he, he's. He's head and shoulders above almost everybody else on that pitch, and he, and it's quite a, it's quite a remarkable thing, really. He's a he's a really tr- is a true great now, isn't he? Oh, he is, yeah, undoubtedly. And I, I just wonder whether his his captaincy and his leadership it, it reminds me a lot of of Paul O'Connell because I remember thinking the same thing with Paul O'Connell when he first took the Ireland reins, or when you know when Brian O'Driscoll was missing that I kind of. I felt the same thing. I thought at times O'Connell was too emotionally charged. And then you look at him and what he did as he, as he grew into that role and will undoubtedly be remembered as one of the best, the best international leaders of all time. And, and I do think, and I, I certainly hope I'm going to be right on this, that, that Alan Wynne jones is going to move into, that, move into that kind of echelon, if you like. He's, um, the, the, yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I know it's easy to look at the captain as, as being a, just a bit of a, a figurehead or a, a token role and you need leaders across the pitch but I don't know part of me just just wonders whether um, um, whether because he's been there and, and been through all of this he's just able to drag them that extra that extra percent it's, it's, it's an impossible one to know without being in the dressing room but um, you know it's just uh, just noticing it through the I guess the the timings of uh, of his tenure as captain yeah well it you know it's <laughs> Let's let's be even more optimistic than we're used to being, and say that this is all gearing up nicely for the for Japan, and his sort of uh, his the most triumphant time in his career. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And of course, let us know what you think about that as well. And you can do that on Twitter at Attacking Scrum, on Facebook as part of either our Facebook group or our Facebook page. And uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram as well, which is Welsh Rugby Attacking Scrum. But that brings us to a uh, conclusion for this week. 
Um, thank you to Yestin for joining us. Been great to uh, to chat with you, and nice to chat on a on an optimistic level as well. Thanks, Jed. Yeah, and of course, great. Uh, yeah. Great thanks to you for listening and thank you to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, be sure to join us again next week where we'll be returning to Club Rugby and we'll look forward to chatting to you then. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.